I wonder if you realize what an interesting gathering this is. Because each of you is here, not because it's Sunday and you have an obligation to go to church. You're here because you want to engage in an experience of what we call creative worship. You're vitally interested in self-improvement and overcoming, perhaps in engaging in some mental house cleaning, getting rid of what we're calling excess baggage that you've been carrying to the detriment of your effectiveness as a creative individual. The gospel story of Jesus experiencing temptation in the wilderness was actually his tussle with the inertial pull of human consciousness. As we often point out, Jesus was not God becoming man, but man becoming God. In the final stages of self-realization and mastery, his victory over himself proved that you and I can achieve a victory to the same. His personal struggle indicated that we all sometimes experience our own purgatory. Much of what we're up to in this study of truth is a matter of seeking for a personal growth and overcoming. Confronting and discarding patterns of mind that work against us, attitudes that are excess baggage weighting us down, disrupting our creative efforts. Paul calls for us to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you. This is not easy. For pernicious negatives become deeply rooted in the mind. These attitudes that are absorbed into your consciousness over a lifetime can be changed, but not overnight. First of all, you must get the feeling that you can change. Then you must cast off the excess baggage of your mind with a great deal of effort. Favorite story of mine is the story of Mark Twain's The Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. His champion frog was such a good jumper, he could outjump any other frog pitted against him in a contest. One day, a stranger who had the frog in the contest, which he knew could not jump the champion frog, figured out a way to beat him. So on the sly, he sneaked into the room where the champion was housed the night before a contest. He opened the frog's mouth and filled it full of buckshot. Next day at the contest, when the champion was brought out to perform, there was a silence as they all waited to see the tremendous jump that he would make. He hunched and heaved, trying hard to get off a jump, but at last he was so weighted down that he couldn't even budge. So the jumping frog of Calaveras County lost the contest to the stranger's untrained frog. This classic story of Mark Twain's has brought hearty chuckles to his readers through the years. Actually, it's a kind of living parable that points up the fact that even as a champion frog cannot win any kind of race or contest if he's weighted down with lead, so in any kind of athletic contest, the participants are careful not to carry too much weight. Certainly no one would think of trying to set a new world record in the mile or the marathon, 
carrying a sack of window sash weights on his back. In any race, he must travel light, get rid of all excess baggage, and streamline the vehicle or ourselves. Yet obvious as this is, we sometimes weight ourselves down in our thoughts by doubting our ability to achieve success, going over all the mistakes that we've made over and over and over them, condemning ourselves for having made them. We weight ourselves down with fear that things would go wrong or that something or someone would work against us. We need to take hold of ourselves and literally shake the lead out. We need to streamline ourselves for success by discarding our notions of defeat, our attitudes of limitation, our feelings of discouragement. One of the loveliest of Bible statements is the words, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. It might come as a surprise to some Bible students to recognize that the direct opposite of the statement is also true. That would keep him in perfect confusion, whose mind is stayed on negative and destructive thoughts. That's where most of us check in. In the subconscious caverns of the mind, we tend to store up every kind of thought and feeling that we give our mental acceptance to. Unless we keep watch and screen out the negatives as they occur, we soon find ourselves with an awful lot of excess baggage. As an example, one of the prime items in the excess baggage that we carry around in mind is hurt. Just the mention of the word hurt may jog the memory in a resensing of pain and the opening of wounds. Now, hurt and its pain are part of the human experience, a byproduct of human relationships. Since life is basically spent in the framework of human relations, there are countless opportunities for feeling of hurt if you're so inclined. That may surprise you if you're so inclined. It may appear to be startling. But you see, we must face the fact that we always have a choice. No matter what a person does or leaves undone, you never have to give him the power to decide how you're going to think or feel or act. There's a common exclamation in the hostile relationship. You've probably said it yourself. If you haven't, we'll give you a merit badge. It goes like this. I don't have to take that from anybody. I don't have to take that. Precisely, you don't have to. So why take it? It's interesting, isn't it? How logical is such a faith, or such a truth? How easy we overlook it. It's as if we carry a special grievance knapsack on our back into which we deposit the accumulated memory of incidents in which we've taken offense. We've taken offense. It wasn't forced on us. We took it of our own volition. So why take it? In the mental storehouse of hurt, we have what I might call a growing enterprise with scars and even festering open wounds of rage and unforgiveness, with frustrations that block the creative flow, all of which we've taken, and we never really have to. In truth, we have known it for a century, but medical science is just now catching up to the realization that we cannot maintain an active storehouse of hurt and enjoy either health or happiness. Startling new revelations from medical science are appearing daily in the newspapers, weekly in the Rotary Review sections, things that we've known for years. 
that you can't have hurt and limited attitudes in your consciousness and enjoy health or happiness. It's even being proved medically that most, if not all, physical ills are emotionally induced. For instance, arthritis is often called bottled hurt. Robert Burns talks about the good wife Kate at home nursing her wrath to keep it warm. You can be sure that the good wife Kate suffered from high blood pressure, rheumatism, and various and sundry complaints. The word resentment comes from the root meaning resense. It is a constant resensing of the experience, keeping alive all the pain and self-pity. It could be said that along with the good wife Kate, most persons have a mental string of rosary beads, as in the ritual of prayer. They go over and over the scars and open wounds of hurt, counting them one by one. In time, the person loses control, in fact, becomes controlled by the ravaging effects of the pain. It could be said that one's whole personality and the course of his life may be shaped in the image of his hurt. This is tragic when we know that these hurts are things that he's taken. He doesn't have to, but he's taken them. He's accepted them. He's made them a part of his consciousness. There's an interesting and self-revealing exercise that we use at our retreats often. Some of you who have been with us for retreats have probably gone through something like this. We ask you to write an explanation of one of your deep hurts, just a narrative paragraph telling a story of the hurt, how it happened, how bad you feel. Perhaps something you've never shared with anyone. And when you've written it out, and it would take time to do that, suppose that I ask you to give me the paper, and I promise you, you'll be free forever from the pain of this hurt, from its influence in your life. Now think carefully about it. You give up all entitlement to your self-pity, to the insistence that what he did or what she said has had a harmful effect on your life. All that is over. Now, honestly, are you willing to be free? You may be surprised to find that if you're honest with yourself, that you're not spontaneously eager to let it go, because you've taken it of your own volition. It's interesting how we hold on to hurt. It's because most emotional pain is what I like to call substitutionary fulfillment. Substitutionary fulfillment. Someone may do something or say something against you that is disturbing. If you realize there's little or nothing you can do about it, you may turn to self-pity as an alternative. You may be deeply hurt and you may feel with good reason. You may say, of course I'm hurt. Do you know what he did to me? So now, you write it all out on the paper. And I promise you that if you give it to me, you'll never have it anymore. You're no more hurt. Are you willing to let it go? To forgive and forget and get up, get, give up the memory of the whole experience? The pain, the self-pity? Actually, with many of us, something within may be crying out, No, don't take my hurt away from me. It's mine. I have a right to something. <laughs> if I can't have things as I want them, let me at least have this substitute. It's all very subtle, of course, but it's real. The hurts that we carry in our minds are retained in our memory. You ever said, I wish I had a good memory? Actually, there's rarely such a thing as a poor memory. The inability to remember 
It's not likely that something is lacking in your equipment, but that you may be remembering too much of the wrong things, remembering too many of these hurts that you've taken of your own volition. What we really need, basically, is to develop a good forgettery. One woman enrolled in a memory course. In the hall of the classroom before the first session, she was telling a friend how upset she was over a fight she had had with another friend. The friend said, why don't you forget all that and let it go? With eyes are blazing, she said, I don't intend to forget that ever after she hurt me the way she did. Note the paradox. She's planning to take a memory course. What she needed was to concentrate on getting rid of the clutter and the excess baggage to learn to forget. Paul says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. That's an amazing and beautiful statement if you think about it. You might put it on a plaque on your desk or over your dressing table. In the course of a day, it's easy to indulge in negative states because it might take the patience of a saint to keep her perpetually poised. But when you retire at night, when you take time to disrobe, to lay aside your clothes, to empty your mind of unwanted things even as you empty your pockets as you lay your garments aside, make a ritual of it. Think back of what has happened during the day, those things that you've taken that you needn't, you, that have upset you because you've taken them into yourself. People who have despitefully used you, people who have disturbed you, let them go. Would you go to sleep tonight with a poisonous reptile coiled under your pillow? You might say, of course not. Yet how many persons go to sleep every night with something equally deadly coiled in their consciousness? Maybe a deep-seated grudge, a strong feeling of resentment, a secret fear about something that you've hardly admitted to yourself, let alone tell it to anyone else. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Jesus says, agree with your adversary quickly. Many people have misunderstood this. They think that he's telling you to, no matter who, who's out there doing things, agree with him. Let him do it. Let him punch you around. Let him slap you on both cheeks. To agree here means to settle with. And your adversary is not the person that despitefully used you. It's your adverse reaction to the person. Jesus gives a key to this. He says, a man's enemies are they of his own household, his mental household, his own mind. These are your enemies. So settle with the adverse states of your mind. Get your mind centered in the divine flow and then see the excess baggage falling away. If you should be in the state of mind in which you have an enemy, it's important to listen to Jesus' clear direction. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you, that you may be sons of your Father. How can you love your enemies? The important thing is to realize that your enemy is basically your enmity your enmity, the adverse reactions in your own mind. Love this enmity. Get your love flowing through your consciousness. Not that the other person deserves to be off the hook so easily, but because you deserve the kind of fulfillment that comes through a loving state of mind. You may remember impetuously Peter crying out, But Master, how often shall we forgive? Until seven times? Jesus puts it on the basis of law. He says, I say unto you, until seventy times seven. In other words, always, eternally, ever. Peter was saying, but you just can't go on forgiving people. How much can a person take? 
Don't take it. It's very simple. If you want light in the room, you must turn the switch. If you refuse, you'll sit in darkness, and it will be of your own choosing. The power that goes with your divine potential is only actually yours when you act the part. That's why Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We're all children of God, spiritual beings. It's only when we act the part that all the power and the potential becomes a part of our experience. Turn on the light. Let go of bitterness and hurt. Forgive and forget, not so much because that other one deserves it, but because you need the healing unity that only right thinking can bring. Continued unforgiveness is often rationalized by Christians as righteous indignation. Don't you love that? Righteous indignation. I have a right to my anger. I have a right to my self-pity. I have a right to my hurt. In other words, you can hate and resent and be angry if it is in what you may call, piously, a righteous cause. What's a righteous cause to be hurt and upset, to be angry, to be bitter? Righteous or unrighteous, still holding to the nettle. There's a story told, you may be familiar with it. Two Hindu priests were on a long walking trip. They came to a large stream where a woman was in distress, unable to cross. Despite their priestly vow never to touch a woman, one of them took pity on her and carried her across on his shoulders. As they continued the journey for miles, the second priest berated the first one for breaking his vows. How could you do such a thing? You're a disgrace to your order. Finally, the first priest had had it. He said, my friend, I carried the damsel simply across the stream and promptly put her down. You've been carrying her for the past 20 miles. <laughs> Think about that in terms of your own consciousness and your own experience. The act that you've been so upset about, so angry over, so bitter about, so hurt, the act may have long been stopped in the darkness of consciousness of the perpetrator. The, inner, the negative conscience in him may have long since been corrected. But if you keep holding to the memory of the wrong and bitterness and resentment, then it is you who are now breaking the spiritual law. That's not easy to take. That's the truth. There's another kind of hurt that is rarely considered. We mentioned this just in passing. Someone dear to you may have passed on. You're in a turmoil of emotions over it. You may be looking back in grief and sadness, remembering other times of companionship and love, or in guilt that this is how it should have been. A very subtle point is that much grief is to a large extent hurt. You're hurt that this one on whose love you depended has gone off and left you. You have the fear and the resentment and the deep hurt of abandonment. So you need to forgive him to let him go. The relationship has come to pass. It brought you just the experience that you needed, and it will continue to bless you with growth if you can let go and walk on. It's important for you and for that other one that you let it go. Because to keep it on is to carry a nettle in your consciousness. You need to disturb yourself over the feeling of abandonment. Your mind is your own, and what happens in it is totally your responsibility. Truly, a mind is a wonderful thing. To insist on holding on to negative things is to persist on taking poison into your mind, into your whole system.
I love the wise observation of the comic strip character, Skippy. He says, Why well, don't let it worry me none, because I think too much of my mind. How much do you think of your mind? Things other people do or say, even to you, are their problems, not yours. So don't take them into your consciousness and make them yours. One of the common items in the excess baggage in the mental storehouse is a tendency to live in the past. A common human tendency at the beginning of a new year is look, looking backward and feeling of nostalgia, grief, guilt, and resistance to change. But you can't have the years back, much as you'd like to. But his past is done. It is history. But there's one thing you can do about the past. You can change your thoughts about it and be willing to accept the all things working together for a good process. To admit that even if someone did something for evil, as it says in Joseph in the scriptures, that God meant it for good, that you can bless the other person and release the experience and walk on. You can't change what happened. You can't say it didn't happen, it never took place. You can't change, perhaps, the memory that it hurt terribly. But you can change the fact that you've been carrying this hurt, this heartache, this grief, for a long period of time, of your volition. You can let it go, if you will. We all know persons today who spend their time looking back to the golden age of early times, obsessed with another world, leading to an excess of mental baggage that limits their world today. I well remember my father, who had come to America from England and never returned for 40 years. He was always looking back on the way things were. He used to entertain, if that's the word, my brothers and sisters, with stories of all the marvelous things of his hometown and his country, things, how wonderful things were back then. One day he had a chance to return on a trip. He visited the hometown after 40 years and found that it really didn't exist as he idealized it. It had been a fantasy of his own mind. He was discouraged and distraught. He could hardly wait to get back to his home in this country. He was cured, taking a renewed interest in the present and with plans for the future. Many persons never have the opportunity to unmask the glamours of the past, to discover that riding the observation car is a distortion of the importance of now. There's a verse of scripture that should never be overlooked. It says, God requires the past. God requires the past. When you throw a log on the fire, the wood as acorn, tree, and kindling must go in order that the heat and light of fire may be realized. So if today is to be fired with enthusiasm and light and the heat of creative action, then you have to be willing to let it go, to release it, let the consciousness of now unfold in your life. Whether you're looking back in anger or in feelings of nostalgia to times when you had more money, more friends, more health, more attractiveness, today has something more thrilling than any of them. Because today is here. It is new. It is now. So if old fears and grudges and recollections of injustice have become baggage too excess for normal living, it's important for you to set for yourself a task of consciously and deliberately putting out of your mind unwanted thoughts. Remember, you've taken them there of your own volition. You have the power to let them go. You will call for getting back to basics, realizing that your mind is an extension of divine mind, 
as you're a channel for the unfoldment of light and life and love, you must affirm that all that is out of balance and not in keeping with the outworking of the divine potential within you are as waters that have passed away. All things have become new. Again, Paul says, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you and run with patience the race that is before you. In its ultimate, Jesus talks to this very effectively. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What does this mean? The word yoke comes from the same root as the word yoga, meaning union, oneness, unity with the divine flow within you. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he means understand this consciousness of oneness which I have found and realize it for yourself. Take this into your own consciousness. When you're conscious of your oneness within, life is easy and your burden is light. You let go of all the resistances and the resentments and the hurts and the bitterness that you've taken into your consciousness. If the focus of your excess mental baggage involves harbored hurt or resentment of some person or condition in your life, which is completely taking over your experience, you might be interested in a simple little poem that I would like to read entitled One of These Days. Don't ask me for the author because I can't remember it. He goes like this. Say, let's forget it. Let's put it aside. Life is so short and the world is so wide. Days are so short and there's so much to do. What if it was false? There's so much that's true. Say, let's forget it. Let's brush it away now and forever. So what do you say? The sun will be shining and drive off the haze one of these days. Say, let's forgive it. Let's wipe off the slate. Find something better to cherish than hate. There's much in the world that we've already had. Let's strike a balance and cross off the band. Let's forgive it, whatever it may be. Let's not be slaves when we ought to be free. You should be walking in sunshiny ways one of these days. Say, let's not take it so sorely to heart. Hates might be friendships just drifted apart. Failure be genius not quite understood. We could all help folks so much if we would. But let's get closer to somebody's side. See what his dream is. Know how he tried. Learn if our, if our scoldings won't give way to praise one of these days. Let's be still. It's a beautiful thing to realize that our mind is a channel through which the infinite mind expresses. There is within us potentially a continuity of love, peace, life, light, which will flow unceasingly through us if we keep our mind open and receptive within. So acknowledging that many of us have taken into our consciousness ideas, feelings, hurts, made them into complexes and obsessions. How good it is to know. We loose it and let it all go and center ourselves in the divine flow where love and fulfillment can express through us. So just for a moment, hold an image in consciousness of an open channel. See the channel uncluttered 
open, free. All that would limit and bind is washed away. As we're told, old thoughts and old conditions are as waters that have passed away. Behold, I am come, all things made new. And if there are things in your consciousness that you're holding on to, you find it very difficult to let go of. Just remind yourself. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to, in any way, try to atone for the problem. Just be open and receptive. Let the infinite spirit flow in you and through you and wash away the limitations. Your conscience need no longer be cluttered with what we could call mental cholesterol. You're free. Free from resentment. Free from resistance. Free from unforgiveness. Free from hurt. Free from all kinds of obsessions of limitation. Or basically, you're a spiritual being. And you have within you the potential to express the Christ light in all your ways. This be a day of new light and life within you. This be a week of new unfoldment of the love that is basically you. May this be the first day of the rest of your life, a life of freedom, a life of wholeness. Praise God for the truth that makes us free. <laughs>